Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden. Hi, I'm your host, Misty Little. This is season four, episode 12. Well, last episode, we were in the tropical south, but today we're going to bundle up and hibernate as we head to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where as I record this, it's been at least negative 30 Fahrenheit there at the house of my guest today. My guest is Meg Cowden. She's the creator of an Instagram account called Seed to Fork and the website of the same name. Meg's been a gardener for quite a while now and built several gardens before settling at her current homestead just outside of Minneapolis. Her sprawling edible garden that she works with her husband and children has been the source of much envy for me over the last few years as I've been following her. Meg chronicles her beautiful garden and shares an overall wealth of information, especially for those in northern climates. In this episode, Meg mentions several resources which I've put in the show notes for the episode, so do check that out if you found yourself wanting to write down a book name during the episode. You can find the podcast at thegardenpathpodcast.com, drop me an email at thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com, or find me on Instagram at thegardenpathpodcast. And now, on to the episode. Okay, all right, yeah, so I listened to your Joe Gardner episode again this morning, and uh, it was so good. I forgot how packed full of information that episode was. He's good at, I mean, just loading it, I feel like, you know? Yes. He. Well, I mean, he's kind of an expert at interviewing awesome. people. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on my little humble podcast. And uh, I've been admiring your Instagram feed for, I don't know, two years or so now. And... Um, yeah, so it's, it was about time for you to come on the show. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm honored that you reached out. I think it's great. And, um, I love what you're up to in Texas. I love being connected to people gardening and, you know, so many different zones than we are. It's just so fascinating. I learned so much. Yeah. And I, I just love, I mean, frankly, during the podcast has really opened up like my knowledge about gardening and what everybody else is doing and, Gar- famous gardeners I didn't even know about. So it's, it's, it's been pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess maybe if you want to just introduce yourself, you're in Minnesota, but you've lived a whole bunch of different places. Um, kind of talk about how you came to Minnesota and how you've kind of set up your, your home and garden there. Yeah. So yes, we, we are currently in Minnesota. We moved here in 2003. So I guess it's going on 16 years. Um, and prior to that, we lived in Oregon. That's where my husband and I met in college. Prior to that, I, I was born and raised kind of on the Eastern seaboard, born in Virginia, raised in New England. Um, and so out of grad school, we, we, you know, Oregon is really, it really is a utopia in a lot of ways. I'm not going to try to share that. Just as great. Um, Oregon has, you know, five different kind of like climates that you can when you drive across the state anyway um so leaving it was hard we thought maybe it was a temporary move um my husband got a job with a large food company out of grad school um and he is still working there he works for general mills in just about you know a 10-15 minute drive from our house um when we first landed in the twin cities of, of minnesota and minneapolis we didn't really know. Like we were, we were young. Let's see. We you know, just out of grad school. We were in our twenties. weren't really thinking about kids or a family yet. And um, 
So we moved into the city. We thought that was great. I worked downtown prior to having kids. Um, my husband worked out. Um, he actually, there was a campus the General Mills had that was in the city too. So it just made sense to be in the city. Yeah. Um, over time, at one point, we've, we've owned land in Vermont thinking we were going to relocate there someday, um, which we sold. That was really not smart. But um, And then we did own land in Wisconsin for a while. We owned about 18 acres that had some prairies on it. That's where I kind of fell in love with prairies. And we did do some gardening there. Um, when we got rid of that kind of retreat, the, we called it our farm. When we got rid of our farm, about um, four or five Lee realized how much we like space. And mm-hmm. that was when we sort of started looking at um, leaving the city. I mean, we loved the city in a lot of ways, but I was also looking at a good small public high school for my, my, my older son. Um, who I knew that he needed a small, small setting. And my husband's commute, even though we're like out of the city, is the same distance it was when we lived in the city. So in terms of like work-life balance, there was, it was kind of, I think it was a net positive just because I feel so much. Oh. <laughs> you can spread out. And yeah, and we do. I mean, we do. We have almost three acres to play with and we're really starting to touch like uh, just, you know, we're, we're going to be relandscaping a large part of our property here this next year, which is super fun. So. Well, and I saw you had photos of your house in Minneapolis and it was a cute, quaint little bungalow type setting there. You did a lot of, it looked like front yard gardening. Um, I mean, besides flowers, you'd actually did edibles in the front yard too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that house, we fully remodeled the house. We touched every square inch of land there. And we rebuilt the garage, we rebuilt the port. I mean, we're just like, we're like these industrious little, we just can't not have a project. We're project people. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, we did. And I, you know, at first I added like two simple in-ground beds the first year and they were, you know, tomatoes. And then we pulled the front, you know, we pulled our front shrubs out and replaced those with blueberries and strawberries, right? So we incorporated, my husband started espalier apple trees that I do drive by and they are not cared for. It's like oh. he started, he has started to spalier apple trees in every, this is the third time he started them. So <laughs> they take a long, they take slightly longer to produce than yeah. open trees generally. Um, so, so yes, we decided to do raised beds in that front yard garden. Um, I felt a little bit of an obligation kind of socially to our neighbors to make the garden as beautiful as possible because it was in the front yard. And so I made it a little more formal than maybe I would have done. I think gardens can look beautiful if they aren't in raised beds, but right. I mean, very geometrically. And I added, um, I probably, for, and I also tore up, we had a way of these boulevard strips in Minneapolis. I don't know if all cities have them, but they're, mm-hmm. you know, four to six feet between your sidewalk and the curb. Mm-hmm. And I, Tore that up one, you know, 100 degree day, you know, 80, 80 dew point, like 4th of July weekend, I pulled all the turf up and set that to perennial flowers. Um, and that was all before I was into, you know, pollinator gardening. That was like me just beginning to be aware of that, which was a little over 10 years ago. So, so yeah, we really enjoyed that. And we, um, we did that before we owned our land outside of the city. And then that kind of changed how we were thinking about gardening. So we've been, 
I mean, we've had a lot of ex- experiences in terms of like gardening in little urban spaces. We tried to garden out in the country and that was fraught with its own challenges. Um, and now here we are with our, you know, Fort Knox, our walls are like, you know, we have is <laughs> like, okay, we've been wizened by, you know, raccoons eating all of my sweet corn in the country because I was kind of an absentee landowner. Party, you know, so, right. um, um, yeah, so I want to go back now. I think your family and you kind of grew up with a gardening ethos um, and you started gardening on your own, like I said, about 20 years ago when you were in grad school. Um, how is how is your how has that changed over the last 20 years? I mean, you got into pollinator friendly gardening. What was those beginning days looking like? Yeah, I I do think, and I, I posted about this recently on Instagram, I realized like houseplants were kind of my gateway to gardening, I think. And I, I don't think I knew it at the time, you know, like, I, I don't know, all my college friends, and maybe this was an Oregon thing. Again, I don't know. This is just what I remember about college, but it was a very green. We all had houseplants and taking cuttings and throwing them in water and, you know, multiplying your plants and, you know, all that good stuff. Before houseplant Instagram got crazy. <laughs> totally right film film photography um so and how has it changed and then my husband and I when we started gardening together we started with just tomatoes you know five gallon buckets in the Home Depot drilled some holes in the bottom because the reason we did this is because we were engaged and we were getting married and we were moving to go back to grad school right after we got married so we wanted our garden to be mobile so we we put them in pots and then we brought them across the mountains back to our our college town um, and, uh, that was kind of our first little, very simple garden. Of course, all of our houseplants traveled with us too right. at that time. And, um, and then we went for it. We had a great sunny spot in our, our backyard of our, um, duplex that we rented. I of course had extreme Catholic guilt because we took my husband's truck and we just, we went and picked up compost and we. You know, we rototilled the backyard and we brought compost in and we double dug these, you know, we had a 40 by or 20 by 20, about 400 square feet was our first garden. Um, And it did great the first year. And, you know, it's a longer growing season than it is here, but it's also different because it rains a lot. And so the soils were kind of super saturated for part of the winter. So when you think like, oh, it's above freezing, but what's growing in super saturated soils, you know, you trade its trade-offs. Right. Um, Right. So then moving here, um, we we already had the huge bug for organic gardening and for growing our own food. And I really can't fully explain it. I mean, just stuff grows for us. And I think it's part of us reading some great books and um, feeding, making sure our soil is healthy and giving it, giving the plants the nutrition they need. And we always choose crazy sunny places to grow food. Right. So it's over well over eight hours more like 12 hours of sunlight you know because we have these long days up here yeah. so I mean our, our garden can get 12 hours of sun in June and July that's that's a lot of photosynthesis that's a lot of biomass um so let's see now are you guys no, I'll, I'll take you on a tangent now are you guys <laughs> able to grow like the giant pumpkins the giant vegetables that you know, people in Alaska can grow or does it not get nearly as big, even though you have that long time uh, sunlight? I have never tried to grow a giant. I don't think our 
cabbages would be as big as they are a little farther north. We did grow some when we had our farm and the sweet corn that was devoured by the raccoons. We grew, I mean, we grew these huge pumpkins and it was difficult to get them in and out of my husband's truck and we brought them back to the city and like dropped them off in our friend's front yard. <laughs> Uh, one one um, October, um, they were pretty big. I mean, they were sizable. They were heavy. They were not the super giant, giant ones. But we do have seeds for giant pumpkins, and my husband really wants to grow them again. I am not willing to give space within our um, current deer fence that, that it's not going to get square footage in there. I just think I know how much vegetation they put out. Um I, and I think the deer might eat them. I'm not sure, but maybe we'll, I would, you know, you have a four by four spot, throw down some compost, put some seeds in there and see what happens. Um, someday. Someday. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. One of these years, you know, the, the list so long of things you'd like to do as gardeners are. And of course. Time, not enough time. So you're in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, and Zone 4B. So what's a typical climate year like? I I know it hasn't been very typical the last few years. I think everybody's zones have been wonky. But, yeah, I mean, you seem to do beyond what most people would be doing growing a garden in Minnesota. So maybe, like, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think. I think there's more and more, and, and maybe it's just me being a little jaded by, or not jaded isn't the right word at all, but uh, the people I associate with are also pretty avid gardeners. So I, I do feel like we've got a pretty good gardening movement in Minnesota. Um, climate would be a frost by the end of September, like a killing frost. So um, that's pretty typical. And then, you know, uh, frost into May are also possible. I think maybe if you read it, it might be September 30th and April something, but most people do not put their tomatoes out at least until mother's day here. Um, Some people even, I think it's, I think it might be family tradition is Memorial day weekend is when a lot of people put their gardens in. People really do summer gardens. They do tomatoes and peppers, potatoes, corn, you know, right. right. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and probably green beans, you know, and, and frankly, that's kind of what I grew up with. You know, I grew up with eating, you know, my dad's green beans and squash and maybe some cucumbers here and there, but just kind of the usual suspects. So we've always been, I mean, moving from Oregon to Minnesota, we were a little bit shocked by sort of jarred by that crunch of the growing season. And so from really early on in the city, we, we added who to those which was horribly long I went out and I shoveled the snow <laughs> oh my gosh I was trying to warm the soil and I was doing an experiment and I laid plastic like over one and then another one I just hooped it regularly and they ended up warming at about the same rate and I was like okay I didn't need to it just felt good to be you know even if I'm shoveling snow in the garden somehow mentally that feels like that feels like I'm doing something right <laughs> now I mean do you have like a cold frame for your winter growing or do you not grow anything? Like right now, do you have anything in the garden? Well, perennials are all hanging out in there, but um, are, are there some herbs still standing? And I think they're probably kind of gone. I mean, my sage, I haven't cut back. Okay. Um, there's a couple of kale plants that have not been whacked down. 
we have a vol problem that sort of happened this year. And so I tried really hard to not leave anything that could be consumed by a rodent out there this fall. And I'm really hoping that the predators come and, you know, have a snack. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, we've got a lot of hawks and, and I've seen them. I've seen red tailed hawks multiple times this fall on the ground in my garden, which I'm like, yes, please. Anytime you want to come, come have, come have a snack. Cause I know you're not going to eat my vegetables. Um, so I've, yes, no, there's nothing left outside. It's all inside. Okay. Being stored. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's good for you. Cause you get a break and you can plan. And I feel like Northern gardeners probably have the advantage of a Southern folks who, even though we can grow year round, we don't really get a break necessarily. So sometimes I'm definitely envious of, of you guys up there um, to have that break. Uh, yeah, I am not envious of like, I would feel so much guilt if it was 60 degrees or even 50. I'd, I'd feel bad, like not trying to grow something all the time. I mean, I, I love it. I also think a nice hard frost can be good for killing off disease in our soil. I think that's an advantage for us. Um, and uh, yeah, I welcome the break and I don't know if it's, I mean, we are just, it almost feels a little bit like Alaska. I mean, you know, it's it's dark and then it's light and you just go, I sleep less, I do more, I'm active. And then in the winter, there is a little bit of a hibernation, you know, it really is a, a real thing, a little time to go inward and, um, I'm okay, you know? roasting my tomatoes or roasting my, my potatoes in the oven for dinner and, you know, right. Pull them out of the ground. I bet I don't need that. You know, I mean, um, so yes, I, I totally find the break rejuvenating. Right. And then I'm ready. Right. Like, I mean, we don't have that many weeks left. It's the middle of December. We're going to be starting things, you know, in like, like five weeks. I heard you say that you start your tomatoes in mid or late February, right? Mm-hmm. I started them in early February this past year. I might start, I'll probably start some in February and then I'll start some again in March. Just stagger them a little bit just because why not? I mean, our lights are going to be on. Talk about your garden beds themselves. It looks like most of them are, I think, a mix of raised beds and like straight into the ground. Is that correct? Yeah, I would call them in-ground raised beds. I don't know if that's the right term to use, but they are... Um, we have really heavy clay. And um, so we did a soil test when we first moved here. Um, the previous owner loved his turf. I mean, loved it. So it was like phosphorus level was like just off the charts, I think. Was that, is that right? Phosphorus is what people put. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I don't even care about my turf. I mean, like, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then so we knew it was like 80%. I mean, clay. Clay, sand, no silt. So my husband, who has a soil science background as an extracurricular in college, um, did some math, and we ordered uh, 25 cubic yards of a golf sand, which is like sand pines. It's not mm-hmm. sand. You know how everyone says don't add sand to your garden? Well, we added sand to our garden. <laughs> Well, this is, I, we, we just like, anyway, I, I, I'll tell you why in a minute, but um, fine, the fines of sand and then silt. And so we did this in the right proportion to make our soil more of a loam, right? Okay. So loam is an equal portion of 
Sam Silton Clay. Right. And so trying to get that balance back. And so we um, cut, I, I, first of all, we laid out where we definitely put up a deer fence. We knew deer pressure was going to be really high. Trees out to improve our sunshine. And then once we laid out where the garden was going to be within the confines of our like one, we fenced off about an eighth of an acre with a deer fence. And then I also added rabbit proofing as the deer fence went up. I dug uh, chicken wire under. We were confined by where I put the gates and I wanted to connect. So we have a diagonal path kind of across our garden. And that is on purpose because there's a concrete pad at the bottom near our rent barn. Then from there, we started thinking about, we had all of our permanent food that we wanted to put in. So that kind of all took up the perimeter. And then from there, I was able to figure out how wide we wanted our paths. And then I did some math and played with the tape measure. And then I spray painted it out. And then we rented a sod cutter and we sod cut out all where all the beds were going to go. And then we started bringing in all those amendments. And this all happened. We moved in in July. And we had a really warm fall that first year. And in November, actually, but a horribly wet summer. And then it dried out. And then in the fall, we got the fence up. And then we brought all these we brought all these amendments in. And I had kind of a work party. I did a, <laughs> I did a, I don't know if you guys use Nextdoor in Houston, but yeah, I mm-hmm. here and I, I did a post. And I was like, I just need some help. Like I paid people a decent amount of money per hour, and I I got like six people to come because this sand and silt was really heavy. Yeah, like we moved about fifteen or twenty yards of it over wow. two. So we moved it in. We rented a tiller for the week and. We did a really good tilling and we also added compost at that time. About six inches of compost we added at the beginning um, to all the beds. And so we really, I mean, it was beautiful, fluffy, loamy stuff. And it has settled, but now we're continuing to add. On top. top. Yeah. We we do have a couple of raised beds because one area is um, terraced and kind of steep. But for the most part, we're, well, I would love to have them all be raised beds. But do you know how it's. Yeah. It would be uh, at least five figures. I mean, we would want to use cedar. And it would be a lot, a lot of, a lot of money in um, in cedar. And so I'm, we're trying to, we'll see how it goes. We were gonna, we're gonna continue to terrace our blueberries, which are on the hill, um, and then we might terrace. We have these funny triangle beds. We might terrace, and then we'll kind of decide if we keep going or not. I have really bad knees. I have a bad back. I have chronic pain issues. So like personally, like. <laughs> I, I would really love them to be terraced, but I kind of would rather have like a greenhouse or something. I don't know. Or chickens or right. <laughs> like, you know, what you're going to spend the money at. Right. right. So, um, so yeah. And so our goal right now, I feel like we've tilled, we tilled that first fall. We haven't tilled since we don't plan on tilling anymore. We're just continuing to add compost to the top and fertilizer and we transplant and we, use the pitchfork to loosen the soil a little bit. And that's about it. Now, are you bringing in compost every year? Or do you make enough to, to fill in your own, use your own compost? Yeah. Well, our own compost is still composting. I, we have never been very good at composting. And the, and the city, we had these great places that had industrial compost and they were so convenient and we owned a truck and, you know, right. 20 bucks. They, loader dumps it into your truck it weighs practically nothing because it's compost it's super easy to move around i personally moved probably you know 20 yards of compost this year i mean i would go and get a yard and a half and bring it home and unload it and um it's easy it's easy to it's easy to move around we would love to 
have our compost um, ready. It's not ready yet. This is more my husband's side of the garden than me. He's really good. He built a giant pile this summer. I mean, a huge kind of open pile. It got hot. I mean, it was 135, 140. It was amazing. Nice. We've never had a post pile get that hot. He maybe turned it once and then here we are, like did not turn it again before snow flew. Um, and we have a whole nother pile. Like all of our corn is just sitting there and we need to rent a chipper and so we'll build another pile in the spring. He adds in um, soybean meal to kind of bump up the nitrogen. Okay. And um, so, yeah, no, I mean, and then we also have a three bin system that we used a, a plan off of, I think it was Wazoo, Washington State University. Extension has this nice three bin system with like corrugated over the top. Um, it looks cute, but I'm going to turn around and look here. I mean, they're not, they're, they're more of a passive composting system. Like that's where all of our kitchen scraps go. And then he'll pull some like straw over it. And like, I don't, I'm just kidding. But, um, we, I would love us. I, we will never have enough compost here to supply what we need. So we will always be supporting the local industrial compost companies. I mean, that'd be great, but that's a lot of compost. Yeah. (laughs) Now, have you ever had problems with bad compost? No, no. Okay. No, I had a problem our first year. I got um, straw from um, our local farm supply. I asked for straw, not hay. They said yes, but I had so much hay that was sprouting everywhere. Oh my. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And then I think it might've been one of of Joe Gardner's podcasts. They were talking about using compost as mulch. It might've been Lee Reich who was talking about this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try that. And it's just brilliant. I mean, we do a good two inches on top and our weed pressure was so much lower. One of the problems when we used the straw was that creeping Charlie is one of our worst invasives. I don't know if you guys have that in Texas, mm-hmm. but yep. oh, actually I have it inside here growing with our plumeria. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I brought it inside. Um, so it would go under the straw and then and then in order to weed it last year with the straw on top, it was like I had to lose the straw too. And I was like, okay, this is just doesn't make sense. So with the compost as the mulch, those kind of creeping weeds, you can pull them out without losing your mulch. Right. So that was a game changer for me. I mean, and then the other thing we did differently this year is we, I trenched around all the beds to try and give us like almost like a lane where you can see the creeping Charlie start to try and just stop it from getting fully into the bed. Right. Uh, this is where the raised bed would also be potentially nice for, you know, yeah. That. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Weeds. Yeah. Weeds are the biggest problem. And I'm trying to figure out a way on, on some of ours. Um, I kind of, we let the summer after I had my son, like we didn't really tend to the edible garden at all. So it, it got we- really weedy and we're paying, paying that price now. By the the really deep seedbed of weeds. <laughs> so, Have you the soil solarizing at all? No, I've thought about that, but I haven't. I just matter. We don't have a big enough garden where I feel like we want to plant plants. We want to grow stuff. So I don't feel like I don't want to take mm-hmm. beds out of production. You know, so I'm just constantly battling that. Um, but yeah, weeds—they're so fun. <laughs> Well, I they are probably the biggest deterrent, I think, for people who are new gardeners. I think if we, I think if it's a really weedy area, I think it's really disincentivizing to go out there and just thanklessly pull weeds. So I right. think having 
strategy for weeding is like, it's, I think it's a make or break thing. Yeah. I don't know if I've learned to enjoy it because it's kind of meditative, but at the same time, it's like, you know, last month I just weeded this bed and now I've got to go again. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. But so. I, I know people who have totally abandoned their vegetable gardens because the weed pressure has been so oh high. Oh my gosh. Okay, it's so one of the things that impresses me most is obviously your garden and but how much you produce and most recently your root cellar system. And I'm I'm really curious because I feel like so many people, you know, they have these edible gardens and they sort of sometimes eat out of them, but they don't necessarily use everything. Are you are you using everything from your garden? Do you share with anybody else or do you and do you find yourself really wishing you'd planted more of something by the end of the season or less of something (laughs) or yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So we are definitely growing more than family, which I think is such a tricky, it's a tricky balance. And I, I, we're kind of of the mindset that I think you need to grow more than you need in order to harvest enough. Right. That makes sense. Some goes to waste, right? You get some blossom men around on some tomatoes and peppers and, um, we have lovely neighbors, you know, we're all on about a two or two and a half acre plot here. So we've got neighbors. I mean, we're not like out, we're not out, out of, out of town by any stretch of the imagination. And two of our neighbors right adjacent to us that kind of drive by and look at our garden every day. We try to keep them well fed from the garden because they have to put up with our dear friends and you know, try to be good neighbors and they're really good friends and they, they enjoy it. And we're sort of a source of entertainment because we're constantly taking on some kind of a project or, you know, there's more compost showing up or I'm digging up more lawn. I'm adding a prairie. Right. So, um, but yes, we, our goal when we moved out here and moved out of the city was to really try and move towards self-sufficiency. We're never going to be, I, we don't need to be fully self-sufficient, you know, right. I don't ever foresee there being a, a, a need for that. And, you know, um, but it's a fun, fun kind of goal to set for us ourselves. Um, and we're still learning a lot. I mean, this was only our second year growing at a scale this large onions. I think we did it. I think I have enough onions now. Did it, do I remember exactly how many I harvested? <laughs> no, how many I planted? No, like, but I know that we had like probably between all three kinds, we had probably 400 or more onions that I harvested between shallots, red and yellow onions. Wow. Um, and, you know, whenever we go somewhere, I'll bring like a winter squash and some onions and shallots to people as like my housewarming gift. <laughs> Hopefully they appreciate it. I mean, most of them do, but like. Um, I, I think so. Anytime I've brought so, food from the garden to people, they're always impressed because, you know, they're not growing anything. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, potatoes too. I feel like this year we did much better. We grew in a larger spot last year. We had some kind of a blight that got to them and our tomatoes and our cucumbers. And we had a lot of failures last year. It was a weird year for growing food. Um, We harvested, I can't remember now, but it was maybe 70 some pounds of potatoes. Wow. Awesome. Which was pretty good. It was a one of our triangle beds. I mean, maybe we should have harvested more, but we're still once or twice a week. Potatoes are part of our part of our our meal, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, the goal with building the root cellar was to put up cabbages and broccoli and 
um, beets. I was going to have the greatest beets in there. And, you know, the, the voles ate all my beets. They like had a big party. I'm guessing it probably helped their population too, because <laughs> I just, every time I look at something they've eaten, I'm like, Oh my God, how many, how many voles resulted in that like consumption of that beet? Right. Um, so, so we did not come close to filling this root cellar, which is like a four by six. I'm going to, I'm, that's not, don't quote me on that. Well, you can quote me on it, but whatever it is, what it is. It's four by six, it's like a U shape. It's got three shelves, I think. Uh, we read the book Root Cellaring, and I have it right here by Mike and Nancy Bubel. I don't know if that's how you pronounce the last name or not, but it's an amazing, I mean, it's like a little encyclopedia about how to go about root cellaring. And I know you kind of asked me ahead of time, like, what can we do in the warmer, warmer zones? And yeah. So I, um, I, whenever I think of you guys, I think of like using your garden as a storage space. I don't know, like you could keep your carrots in the ground all winter, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that is kind of what we do. We kind of will harvest, pick some as we go along and, um, and then, but, you know, by the time they're done, you know, we'll just pull out the whole harvest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you could potentially, I don't know. I, I, nothing in these books speak to warmer. Okay. I would think of your soil as being your root cellar because that, that's basically what a root cellar is. is it's trying to mimic storage conditions in the ground so that, the food remains at its peak harvest. Right. Right. Um, like, so like for carrots, you want to keep, you want to keep them in like damp sand or sawdust and keep it at, you know, right around freezing, right? 32 right. different foods where you keep most root vegetables that need high moisture. And so you're just trying to mimic earth. So right. if you live in a place that's warmer, I would, I would think just use your earth. I mean, maybe that's not the case, but, you know, local farmers here, when their potatoes are done, they let their potatoes die back here and they don't dig them up right in the middle of August when the plants are showing signs of, you know, dying back. They just they wait until it's convenient. I mean, they, they don't they don't let them freeze in the ground. But my point is, I would be curious if I lived in a zone like yours, like, oh, what if I just left my potatoes in the ground all winter and then when I needed them, I dug them up fresh for dinner? Well, I don't know. I guess, I guess to that point, it would be kind of almost an, an opposite frame of mind. We would be wanting this stuff for summer, not winter, because oh, it nice. would be, you know, because um, carrots would be, you know, coming out in, you know, March, April at the latest. I've had them later than that before because I've been lazy. But, you know, we're not going to really be having, they're going to rot in the middle of July here. <laughs> Um, if I left them in the ground. Right. Okay. Um, so, okay. And, and then same with potatoes. Um, you know, people can do fall potatoes, but most people do potatoes in like February and then you harvesting them, you know, April or something. Right. right. So I think that would be my frame of mind is like making this a summer. It's kind of, it's, it's really a tricky thing to have to switch your mindset for, for the South. Right. And I was thinking about what you could do in the winter. Yeah. To keep the- yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it's, you know, we don't, we can't grow broccoli in the winter like you guys probably can. I mean, I would think like a lot of brassicas are kind of your winter. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, nothing's growing here. Now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like partially jealous of you, but then at the same time, it's like, well, I've got, you know, I've got kale out there. My radishes are doing great. Um, my husband just planted snap peas. So we're going to have those in a few months. And 
you know, it's, it's a trade-off on both ends. So. Yeah, definitely. But I do look at like my summer garden, like one of my favorite photographs was, I mean, we literally had like almost everything in season at once. You know, I had cabbages, I had broccoli, I had cucumbers, I had tomatoes, I had potatoes and onion and garlic. I mean, squash. It was yeah. every, every, right? Almost everything was ready. And then there was, you know, fruit. And so it's all at once. And then it's, yeah. And then it's gone. <laughs> so what is like a typical day in the garden look like for you when it's actually a season? How often are you out there? And um, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, obviously probably the typical chores everybody's thinking of, but it seems like you're, you're out there quite a bit. I try to be, I mean, it's the place I love to be taking my coffee out there in the morning. Um, we tend to be starting a lot of things in the summer for fall. So there's watering that usually has to be done at least once or twice a day. Um, I honestly don't weed as much as I should. My husband is, tends to be the <laughs> so weeding, I do a lot of photography. Um, I try to time my harvest so that they're, you know, peak freshness. So if I need to get out there in the morning and harvest, try to do that first thing for things like lettuce or other sensitive, heat sensitive things. Um, and I'm looking for good and bad bugs. I mean, I'm just sleuthing my garden all the time. That's just kind of fun. It's a, it's a, it's a playground for me, you know, I mean, a place where I really go out and enjoy and see what's out there. Right. How involved are you with the gardening community in the greater Minneapolis area? I just saw you post something working with an extension agency. Is that what it was? So that's our master gardener program. Master gardener. Okay. And, and you're going to be a master gardener or you are a master gardener? No, I'm not. I, I applied to okay. the program for this year and it starts, um, it starts in January. So I'll be an intern next year and then I will be a master gardener. And that is a, you know, it's a course, a, six-week course and um, lots of volunteer hours. So I am going to be exploring all the different ways we can volunteer in, in Hennepin County, which is Minneapolis and then the Western Metro of the Minneapolis area. Yeah. I would say, how are we involved? I mean, I would say I, I am not, other than that, I'm not that connected with the local gardening community. I'm more connected with local farmers through um, local farmers markets than I am. So I'm excited to see, you know, okay people and get involved in potentially school programs. Um, I'm really interested in working with the elderly. And I just think gardens are a wonderful tool for tugging at people's memories that maybe they don't know are there. I think that's just a beautiful, I really want to get involved in that. Just um, memory loss is something that, you know, both sides of our family have experienced with some of our relatives. And I think gardening is something that always somehow doesn't leave people. They can right. remember. They can remember gardens, you know, it's really, it's like, it's like music. So I'm excited to see kind of what that does for my, my connections and helping influence more people to be, of course, vegetable gardening is my thing. Right. Well, I asked because you, you, you have this wealth of knowledge and between your blog and Instagram and, you know, just what I've heard from you other places. Um, I just wondered what you may be wanting to do with it. Like, if you do anything professionally with it, or if this is just like the passion for you. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think passion where passion and profession, I mean, intersect, isn't that someone's vocation? You know, I mean, I, I really feel like I would love to write more. I, I would, I don't know people keep asking me if I'm going to write a book. I haven't quite figured out what that would look like or, you know, um, mm -hmm. but that would be amazing. Um, 
if I want to use my master gardening professionally, it's a different program. So that I am a, a volunteer master gardener and not a horticultural master gardener. Does that makes sense. Okay. okay. So the volunteer ones give their time 50 hours a year in a volunteer capacity and the professional ones pay more money and don't volunteer. Oh, I see. Okay. Anyway, a little backstory. That's how it works in Minnesota. So, uh, yeah, I didn't even know there was a difference. All I knew was the typical master gardener route. I didn't even know there was a distinction. But I mean, besides, I mean, not necessarily saying with your master gardener credentials, right. I would just say like, in general, you have a lot of knowledge that I feel like you could be sharing in some capacity. But I mean, that's obviously your prerogative. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure. And I struggle with that. You know, like, I know stuff, but, you know, I try to be really careful, even on Instagram and my blogs, like, this is what works for us. I don't feel like I have enough. I have, I have experiential knowledge, but I just want to be cautious and not say that, like, yes, this is, this is what's going on because I know everything because I don't know everything. I think things are different in everyone's yards. I, I, you know, like the great example of us adding silt and sand to our gardens. We did read about that in one of our favorite gardeners who is now an expat who lives in Tasmania now, but his name is Steve Solomon. He started Territorial Seeds. He's amazing. And Oregon has a lot of really heavy clay soils. And this is what he found worked. And you will not hear from anyone else in the gardening world. Do not add sand to your soil, right? I mean, that's what everyone says. Only add compost. Only add compost. It's like, well, you guys, I mean, I had 14 inch carrots the first year after we amended that soil, you know, like it works. But I, you know, what? I, I just, I struggle with like, am I the expert? I am a person who has an experience and I'm happy to share my experience, but I don't know. I don't know. I would love to start writing articles, you know, getting some of my, turning some of my blog posts into articles and trying to publish those. Um, right. My passion is really around season extending. I think season extending is a really fun and productive way to, you know, grow things for a longer period of time in these Northern zones. Right. So. Yeah, Just an idea. I've learned a lot from you. So... <laughs> Um, no, what about you? What's your plans for the garden and the, the whole yard as uh, for the future? I mean, you've talked about, you know, the native meadow and I think you have milkweeds and some native plants you're trying to cultivate for pollinators as well. Yep. So we, um, when we had our farm, it had about a couple acres of prairie. And when we sold it, before we sold it, I went through and I took a couple of plants of each of the plants that I really loved and brought them into our city, our old city house. And I redid that whole front yard with a rain garden and all native plants throughout the front yard. And then before we moved from that house, I dug up plants again and brought them to this house. So we have one, what I would consider my remnant prairie, which is plants from when we owned our farm. Um, And, you know, it was like a hundred square foot. I had maybe 12 plants within two years. I mean, it's huge and overgrown and just gorgeous. So I've got a lot of native, native prairie plants there. And then last solstice, I sowed about a half acre, all around vegetable garden, native prairie mixes from Prairie Moon, which is a local seed company here in Southeast mm-hmm. Minnesota. And so those are still establishing. I'm struggling with crabgrass really badly in one of them. And I'm going to give it another year and try I had to fight the crabgrass and see how it goes. I might have to re- kill it all off and reseed it again, but I'm trying to give it a couple more years before I decide because there were some good things that were germinating. And we have a whole kind of, we had a drainage issue in our front yard and we had a lot of invasives and a lot of trees that were dying from some flooding, stormwater ponding that was happening. And we are still 
in the process. <laughs> Long story. Okay, there's some landscapers that we shouldn't have been in business with, and we had to get rid of them. So we. Oh my. I don't know if you remember my stories at all this fall, but I mean, I was standing in like 16 inches of water and I had to like trash pump my front yard out. It was. No, I don't catch everybody's stories, but that sounds crazy. It was crazy. And um, we've, it's, it's been a long haul, but we're, we're re-landscaper half an acre-ish and we're reestablishing a stream on the Western side of our property. We're hoping to add a little wildlife pond, like some ponding. We want, we want, ducks we want turtles we want the amphibians back here and then we're gonna plant it all with sedges and prairie plants and then the whole front yard i mean i want this like i want my whole road frontage to be this huge joe pie weed like dancing in august like this beautiful i have a vision and i'm so stuck on this i can see it i can see it i can see a car driving by and it waving back and forth in the summer and now life to see if it was the right idea um so we're working on that it's a really it's turning out to be a bigger project than we thought it was going to be it's taking longer we're confined by dry seasons and climate change has made i mean we got three and a half inches in a couple of hours in july this year that was crazy we're having inland flooding i mean and then we another in early september we had two and a half inches over, you know, a day. And then it happened again, like a week later. I mean, we're getting these inches of rainfall. I mean, I know you guys are too. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, so our land ready for these events. Our land is not set right now to receive that much water. And we're hoping to kind of, we're trying to think forward several decades and hoping that when we reset the landscape, but I'm super excited because it's natives. And then we've been slowly clearing more buckthorn and, junky stuff in our backyard here. We have this little triangle piece of land that kind of goes back along our creek. My husband calls it pawpaw pasture. He's hoping to, <laughs> he's hoping to plant, he wants to plant pawpaws back there. And what else? Wild plums, some wild apple. There's a wild apple tree on the state trail that we walk and he's flagged it and he's going to try to graft that to one of our other apple trees in the property. So we're, you know, Cranberries, highbush cranberries, lingonberries, hazelnuts. You know, we're going to be adding. We've got elderberries on the property. I'd like to add more. They they grow so well here. It's not going to be a problem. So we're going to be, you know, mingling in some, I don't know if you'd call that permaculture. Maybe, maybe not. I never use the word permaculture for what we do, but who knows? Maybe someone would call what we're doing permaculture. I, I, don't know. I think there's a lot of those principles that you're incorporating. I mean, when you talked about the water management that's what came to mind in my head. So, and I think a lot of people use permaculture principles. They just don't think of it that way. Like you said. Right. So, so that's really exciting. And then long-term the goals would be to try and figure out what to do with the barn, add chickens, potentially add a greenhouse, get some bees. And then I think, and then we'd be in a maintenance mode. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in 10 years, it's going to look pretty awesome, but I know it's always that forward thinking and seeing where you're at now is always the hardest part. Yeah. For me, it's getting trees planted. That feels like the most important thing to do. Yeah. I mean, something you know, we really exposed ourselves to our, our road when we took out all the invasives, which a lot of people don't like to do because you have privacy. Um, but we, you know, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you mentioned a couple resources already, the fruit celery book. And your the books um, from 
was it territorial scene? Is that what you said? Yep. 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 Um, Steve Solomon. Steve Solomon. So do you have any other resources that you recommend for people? I love Elliot Coleman too. Who's another Northern climate gardener. I think his books are really amazing. He's one of our go-to, you know, like we followed his, we followed his advice on asparagus, which we started from seed last year and, or wait, we started from seed two years ago. Sorry. 2017. I love his stuff. He's got the uh, the new organic grower. I got the book by Lee Reich last year after I met Joe, which I thought was a really great, easy, digestible read, packed full of good information. And we really love, you know, science-based people who have done some good, like, you know, yeah. home research and yeah. you know, the tried and true, like I've been doing this for a few decades and this is what's changed. Yeah. The Steve Solomon book is Growing Vegetables West of the Cascades. Um, That's a thick book. Wow. Oh, it's got, it's got every, you know, plants, predators, it's got growing conditions for the plants. It's got all kinds of great stuff. Uh, I still religiously follow his complete organic fertilizer recipe. I mean, this is where people ask us how we, like, how do we grow so much? Like, (laughs) you know, taking the time to make your own organic fertilizer, you know, I mean, I think that's a big thing. Yeah know how plants don't grow well we just i mean i don't think we over fertilize by any means i think we might even under fertilize a little bit so yes and then i've accumulated a lot of books on beneficial insects that's something that we're using more and more on our property when we face challenges we've been using nematodes and lacewing larvae and ladybugs things like that and that's something that i'm still trying to learn about so i've invested in some books but you know i guess i'm just hoping for osmosis until i read them I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so there's, I there's always so much to learn and i always feel like i'm 10 steps behind what what's out there yeah well i think this is where i think it's experience you just experience you just do what you can you know yeah um so yeah and i've got links uh, you know i have a resource page on my website and all those books are listed and more right um, so what about goals for 2019 since it's maybe a little sh- more short term? What are you hoping to do yeah. for um, in the garden? I um, actually wrote a few things down. Let me see what I wrote down. Okay. So a couple of things we, we did, we grew brassicas from like, you know, February until October, which is so cool. It's great that we can grow them all the way through our summer, even though our summers, I still think our summers are as hot as yours, but I don't think they are. It was like, you know, 95, hundred degrees and, 78. Our, our, our dew points don't really get above 80. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that's the difference. And you probably cool off at night where we don't cool yeah, off at night. Maybe like early June, we might cool off like that, but no, not in the July. You're still in like lows in the eighties probably. Oh my gosh. That's got to feel weird. Yeah. It's yeah. hot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So some goals. So the brassicas were great, but I really feel like, we, we gave a lot of our space to brassicas this year. And that was our, uh, and, and the end goal was really to have cabbages in my root cellar. And my root cellar is empty. There are no cabbages in there. So I feel like that was a big garden fail for us. Also alert. I mean, I started them. They had, they had, they had some, they didn't do well. They had some challenges. I forget what was eating at them, but there were some things that were eating them. Um, and then some of them just didn't develop in time. Even though I started them in like, you know, end of June, beginning of July, and I'm like, still, red cabbage just was not heading. Um, so that was a little disappointing. But I want to focus our, instead of doing, trying to do three or four, I want to do two brassica plantings. One still really early, 
and then just kind of focus on one for the fall. Now, the one benefit is we had a lot of cabbages. I mean, a lot. <laughs> but we, 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 we fermented a lot of it and we made kimchi sauerkraut and it was super easy. It's easier than making kimchi and it tastes better than sauerkraut. I mean, it's like the greatest thing. It's like spicy sauerkraut. It's so beautiful. It goes on hot dog. I mean, it can go on meat. My husband eats it with his eggs every day. It's fermented food. What I mean, it's like super easy, lacto-fermented. So we want to keep doing that. The other thing is I grew jalapenos, serranos, Thai chilies, Chinese five I grew all kinds of great little spicy peppers. And like, we don't really use them. I mean, like, these are the things like, I'm like, oh, peppers, they're so great. And, you know, we eat, we eat a lot of chili powder and we do use like some spice. We do use some heat. We like the kimchi peppers and I'm like, oh, I should probably start growing those. So I'm trying to switch our pepper varieties to ones that we actually use culinarily. So uh, I've invested in three different paprika varieties. I'm going to order the gochu pepper from Adaptive Seeds in Oregon, which is the, it is the pepper, the Korean pepper that is used to spice kimchi. So it's a real hot pepper. I also am going to switch peppers for like Mexican cooking too, which is something like I would love making my own enchilada sauce. So I want to be able to grow peppers to make you know, yeah, more thoughtful about that. We grew way too much of that glass gem corn. I mean, it was like a 200 square foot area of like, it was just like ridiculous. I mean, we're like, we made, we made cornbread out of it this week. It's still too wet to pop. It's beautiful. We'll be giving away as gifts, but like, I definitely, we're, we won't be growing that next year. We're also trying to grow more tomatoes. We didn't eat tomatoes for several years because we were sort of on like a, a leaky gut diet. I don't know if you know anything about yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were, um, we ate absolutely no nightshades. And my stomach is still, I mean, I love tomatoes, but they don't always feel great on my digestive system. So, yeah. but we, we make chilies. The kids like chilies. We love making, you know, fresh pasta sauces. So we're really upping our paste tomatoes and we're changing the ones we're growing. And I guess I'm going to have to start liking canning. I mean, our goal is to make some, you know, either stewed tomatoes, canned tomatoes, make some sauce and can it. Yeah. Because that's like a food that, I mean, we reach for at least once a week, if not twice. Right. And so really trying to like, and that's where I, I really feel like, and again, this is sort of like my, my, my whole cucumber thing. Like, oh, everyone's trying to grow what everyone else is growing. It's like, I need to just like look at what I'm using in my season when I'm not gardening and be like, okay, this is what I should be growing because this is what I'm reaching for, you know? Right. It always takes some trial and error and to figure out what you what you like and what's cool and maybe is not cool enough to grow for yourself because you don't use it. But it sounds like you've got a great idea for next year. And I don't know, I like all of the the pepper drying idea. I've started doing that some too. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the grind it up into the powder. And that's, I think that was something that switched for me recently was like, I can just dry this stuff. You know, it's another way of pres- preservation. Yeah, totally. And I did, um, I dried some tomatoes and I ground them up into like a, a oh, yeah. tomato powder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> another friend on Instagram. And um, so now anytime and we've used it multiple times in recipes, like tomato paste, I just take a tablespoon, throw it in, throw some water on top and we're done. There you and go. And you think it's less packaging. You know what I mean? It's yeah. really, really cool. Right. And you don't need, you could, I mean, you could buy tomatoes and do that. You know what I mean? You don't need to, you don't need to grow them yet. We'll well, I, it's always changing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I think I could pick your brain for a lot longer, but we've already been talking for about an hour. So 
Uh, maybe if you want to wrap up and kind of tell people where they can find you online. Sure. So online, I um, have uh, my blog, which is just my namesake, MegCowden.com. And I've got links there to resources that we talked about. Um, and my Instagram feed, which is seed to fork. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely one of my favorite feeds. So I, I will definitely share that one. <laughs> Thanks, Misty. It was really fun to meet you. Yeah, it was fun to chat. I, it's one of the best things about about talking on the podcast is getting to actually see these people all over the world that you wouldn't necessarily get to meet otherwise. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you.